Uh, if I was to ask you, what in your mind, we're just going to shout it out here in church for a second, what in your mind is the most brilliant television show of all time, the most brilliant TV show of all time, uh, if I just wanted you to shout it out, what would you say? So maybe someone shout it out. What do you think, most brilliant TV show of all time? Go ahead, shout it. So you think you could dance, Survivor? <laughs> We're off to a rough start. This isn't going so good. If you're online, just shout it out. I don't care if the person in the next room is like, what? MASH, what did you say, Taxi? Oh, Friends, okay, Friends, okay. Hey, listen, listen, like, some of those are okay. I don't know about so you think you could dance, but that's fine. Uh, man, like, I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day, and really, I think I know what the most brilliant TV show of all time is, and I, you know I'm going to tell you what it is because i got a lot of time left, right? Uh, and I was thinking through it. It's not MASH. It's not Survivor. It's not, it's not that. It's not even like This Is Us or whatever that thing is. It's not that. It's not like uh, Saved by the Bell. It's not even Seinfeld. Any Seinfeld fans around here? You can admit, yeah? It's not even that. It's not even that. I'm going to tell, tell you why, because you're not going to believe me when I show you this. But I'm going to tell you why. The most brilliant TV show of all time, this guy right up here on the screen. MacGyver. <laughs> MacGyver. I got it. It's it. You, all, you agree with me? Yes, you agree with me. It's, look at this. Just for a second. I don't have to. This picture speaks for itself. Look at it. MacGyver's not even a good enough title for the thing. They gotta, they gotta give a little byline for each season. So in season six, braver than most, smarter than the rest. And I think at the bottom he's holding like a fake lightsaber. I don't even know if there's supposed to be a sword in his hand or what he's doing there. I don't know. But here's why. Here, MacGyver is, uh, hands down, it's non-disputed, at least after the next ten seconds. MacGyver's the most brilliant TV show of all time. Here's why. Because no other TV show in history, like MacGyver was on for seven, seven years, MacGyver was doing this thing. MacGyver, how do I explain this so you, so you get it real quick? It's the most brilliant TV show of all time. Because the only thing that ever happens in MacGyver is what? He gets locked in some room with a bomb, he has one minute to get out, and he gets out. And then the next episode shows up, he's locked in a room with a bomb, he's got one minute to get out, and he gets out. For seven seasons, it's the only thing that ever happens in the whole show. Like, for whatever reason, MacGyver gets in there, and it's episode one of season one, and he's in the room with the bomb, and some Murdoch guy is the, and the enemy. You guys don't know who the other characters are. You don't know the plot lines. All you know is he somehow gets in the room with the bomb, and it looks like it's the end of the game. It looks like it's it. He's got one minute left. I don't know why the villain always just puts one minute. Like, just kill him, right? But he just put one minute on, and he has uh, MacGyver in the thing, and, and MacGyver's sitting there, and we're all sitting at home like, oh, my goodness, is he going to get out? It's only episode one. I hope he does, right? And it's going to be like, how's this going to end up? How's it going to work? How's it going to work? And it's getting down there, and the seconds are ticking away, and we're wondering if Mac's going to make it out of here at all. It looks hopeless. He's up against the wall. There's no way out. And then MacGyver doesn't, old MacGyver, he does this every time. He's sitting in the room, and he sees something that we don't see, doesn't he? And all of a sudden, MacGyver's there. He's not sweating it. Everyone else is crying. MacGyver's sitting there. He's like, wait, 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 wait. Uh, all I need is a paperclip. Uh, I need a gum wrapper and that 40-foot piece of rope that they left here by accident, right? And then he gets it and somehow makes, like, some sort of boat out of it, and they get out of it, right, every time. Right? The, the next episode, same thing. Ah, oh, I just need some duct tape and a Band-Aid and a hearing aid battery. And, like, he gets out of it all the time. That's the only thing that happens ever. Like, the writers for MacGyver, they wrote one episode. That's it. And then they didn't show up for seven more years. And they, it's the most brilliant TV show of all time. And here's the reason why I love it so much and why you love it. So you agree with me. You will love it so much because of this. Because every time MacGyver looks like he's up against it, every time that it's hopeless... Seconds are ticking away, and he's obviously going to die. There's no way out. He finds out that the answer is sitting right in front of him. 
And why I love that so much, and it speaks to me, it's silly, but it does speak to me. It's because, man, I know all these times in my life where I feel like I'm stuck, I'm up against something, there's one minute left on this thing before the whole thing blows, and I would love to know that the answer's right in front of me too, right? Like, MacGyver is what I want to be in my life. It's the same for you too. That's why you love it. Because you have situations in your life where you feel stuck. Anyone here ever felt stuck? Just slip your hand up in the air. You ever feel stuck with something? Maybe you're not in a room with a bomb. That's a different phone call you got to make maybe, right? If you're watching online, you ever, feel, you ever feel like you just couldn't move forward in something? Like you're just kind of bound up? Like as try, try as you might, you're just not getting out of this one? Like you didn't ask to be in the situation that you're stuck in? You didn't put yourself there willingly necessarily? But for some reason, all of us have in our lives a moment where we feel stuck. Or we feel like things aren't moving along the way we wanted them to. And we don't know how to push it forward any further. And we don't know how to quite get on with it. We don't know how to get past it. But what if I were to say to you, the answer's sitting right in front of you. What if I were to say to you that when you feel the most stuck, God's actually slipping you the key and giving you the way out. You just need to have the eyes to see it. So maybe you're here feeling stuck today. The title of my message is, You Weren't Meant to Stay Here. Because some of us, we feel stuck. We have a situation in our life where we don't know the way out. And we just assume that this must be all that there is. I better just get used to it. This must be all God really does have for me. But you weren't meant to stay there. You weren't meant to stay stuck. We're continuing to follow the story of Joseph here in Genesis chapter 40. Uh, Last week, Pastor Andy had just an incredible message on Joseph, and he's in Potiphar's house, and he gets thrown into jail, right? So if you don't know the story, Joseph is a young guy. He has a dream that his family's going to bow to him. His brothers don't like that dream, so they sell him off as a slave into Egypt. Uh, He becomes a slave of this guy, Potiphar. Potiphar is like... uh, really high in charge of Egypt, like second to Pharaoh, or not so far behind Pharaoh. Uh, And he's a slave in Potiphar's house. He does great. And Potiphar makes Joseph in charge of his house. Pretty cool. Uh, Potiphar's wife wants to have sex with Joseph. Joseph won't do it. She accuses him of trying to rape her. And Joseph gets thrown into prison. And a lot of us, we know that part of the story. And we know what's eventually going to happen. Like maybe we're going to know like uh, Pharaoh's going to have a dream and Joseph's going to interpret it. And all of a sudden Pharaoh's going to put him in charge of Egypt. And it's going to be the thing that actually makes Joseph's boyhood dream kind of come true. But in chapter 40, we're kind of in the middle of things. Like when I first was reading this, it was like, God, there's nothing in here. Like why, what are we even going to do with this thing? It's just a story about a guy sitting in jail. That's it. Right? You ever read a book? Or you watch a series of TV shows, and you know the chapter that's just like, dude, this is just filler chapter, right? Like, or the episode that really doesn't matter, you flip through it. Like, this is one of those chapters I thought. Just a guy sitting in jail. But you're going to find that something that happens when Joseph is in jail is the very key for you if you're feeling like you're stuck. Or you don't know how to move forward. Or things aren't moving along the way that you thought. Genesis chapter 39, actually, going to start just a few verses earlier. Verses 21 and 23 said that, but the Lord was with Joseph when he was in prison, and he showed him his faithful love. So Joseph's thrown into prison, the Lord is with him, he shows him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. That's not too bad. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him. And caused everything he did to succeed. Man, I I love Joseph. 
I love them and I hate them. I hate them actually probably more than I love them right now, right? Like, I would love, wouldn't you love to know whatever situation you're in that God's favor's on you? Wouldn't you love to know that no matter where you go, what you do, what seems to be against you, man, you don't have to doubt that God's got your back. He's given you favor. He's clear in the way. He's given you things you don't deserve. Man, I love that about Joseph, and I hate it about him because I would love to see more of that in my life. I would love to see, like when it's my worst day, that I don't have to worry because God's got it, and he's actually making me a favorite. I would love that. And why does, why does Joseph get this treatment? The Bible doesn't say it's because of his good looks, and he's got them. We know in the last chapter he's a good-looking guy. It's not because he's smart, and he is smart. The Bible over and over says about Joseph, the reason he is a favorite, the reason he has this kind of blessing on his life is because the Lord is with him. See, some of us are trying to get God's blessing, but we're trying to do it on our own smarts. We're trying to prove it. We're trying to earn it. We're trying to get it on our good looks. I've tried it myself. I don't have a lot of good looks. I don't have a lot of smarts. I'm not getting that far with it. But the thing that you need to understand is you want God's favor on your life. Man, then you need to ask him and live in such a way that God is with you. Man, when God's with you, his favor is going to come. Even if you're sitting in prison. I love that about Joseph. Genesis chapter 40 then says, sometime later, Joseph is sitting in prison, he's the favorite in there, he's in charge. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. So the two guys kind of closest to Pharaoh, the two guys who would like feed him uh, uh, food to eat and give him drink to drink, really good ways to die if you're Pharaoh. These guys are super trusted. They make Pharaoh upset and they end up getting into jail too. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials and he put them in the prison where Joseph was. In the palace of the captain of the guard. Now let me help you understand this concept of what prison looks like in the ancient world. Because a lot of times I'll read this and I'll think, well, Joseph is in prison. So he's like in a cell block and he has his own cell and there's bars there. And he gets like an hour of free time and he does all sorts of stuff. But that's not really the case in the ancient world. And I won't get too far into it. <coughs> but the concept of prison actually in the ancient world is way different than ours. It's, it's nothing like it. In fact, Egypt at this time in history is one of the forerunners of the prison system. Like everywhere else in the world, there really isn't any prison. If you do something, something else happens to you right then and there. You pay a fine, you die, whatever it is, and you kind of go on with it. There's, there's not this concept of doing time really. At least at this point in history. <coughs> And so prison in Egypt isn't necessarily what we think, where you do time that equals the crime that you committed. So if I stole something, I'll be in there for, I don't know, a few months, a year. If I kill someone, I might be in there for a longer, right? Like, it's not like that at all. In, in, in prison in Egypt, there are really three things that happened if you went to prison. Every single prison sentence was a life sentence. Like if you went there, you weren't coming back out. The very fact that you're getting thrown in prison means that the rest of your life is toast. You're done. You're just going to sit there. The only other thing, there's two other things that could happen to you in prison. The only other reason you'd be in prison is if someone were to say, hey, well, we're going to kill you. We just don't have the ability to do it yet, or we need time to figure it all out. So you're going to be executed. You're going to sit in prison until we kill you. So both of them are life sentences. The third way you could be in prison, and this was the only good thing, would be if there was some sort of dispute as to if you really did this thing or not. And they would put you in prison until they decided if you were innocent or not. If you were innocent, well, then they would let you go. But if you were not, you're there for life. That's just how it goes. Imagine what that would feel like for Joseph. 
this thought of, I thought God spoke to me at one point in my life. I thought God was all over me. He gave me favor in Potiphar's house. He gave me favor in the prison. But it's hopeless. There's no getting out of it. There's no, there's no any of that. And here, uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker get thrown into prison too. There would have been something going on. Probably what happened is there was some conspiracy to kill Pharaoh, and they could whittle it down and narrow it down to it was either this guy or this guy. So they take the cupbearer and the baker, they throw them both in prison, and they're going to sit there waiting until somehow they figure out who really was responsible for it. And it's these three guys sitting in prison for all they know for the rest of their life. Verse 4 of chapter 40 says, They remained in prison for quite some time. And the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. That's not a coincidence. This is God starting to slip them a key. Starting to slip Joseph a key. They they assigned him to Joseph who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night. And each dream had its own meaning. The cupbearer dreamed about kind of three branches of grapes, and he was kind of feeding them to Pharaoh. The baker dreamed of like three baskets of bread on top of his head, and birds were eating it. It was kind of like this this wild dream, and the ancient world dreams were super, super, super important, and they needed to know what it meant, but they had no one to interpret it. Verse 6 says, when Joseph saw them the next morning, I want you to circle this, because this is the important part if you're following along. Circle these next two words. He noticed. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed noticed that they both looked upset. Oh man, thank you. I appreciate that. He noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Listen, no matter how stuck you feel, God is giving you an opportunity that you're supposed to see. If you feel stuck, there is an opportunity for you to see. See, no one would have faulted Joseph. Would you, like just for real, would you have faulted Joseph if this whole time he was in prison, he would have just became hardened and callous and not cared about anybody anymore? Would you have faulted him? If you had a life sentence on yourself and you're sitting in prison and you're in charge of stuff, it doesn't matter. Would you be like Mr. Cheery? Would you go around saying, hey, how's your day going? What's going on? Like, no one would fault you if you had your head down, you kept to yourself, you got yours, you just did the time, and you were totally done with society. Life was so unfair to Joseph. He had so many raw deals handed to him. It was awful for him. You wouldn't have faulted him if he would have just kept his mouth shut and kept to himself. Like, Joseph's life... Man, it handed him a bad deal. Like if, I was, if, I, if Joseph got a phone call, he wouldn't. But if he got a phone call and he called me, I don't know why he'd call me. But if he called me and I were to answer the phone, I'd be like, hey, Joseph, what's up? And he's like, man, Dell, like, I, I need some encouragement right now because it's looking pretty bleak. And here's what happened. And this did this and this did this and this did this. As a friend of Joseph, I'd even be like, well, I have no idea what to say to you. Like, you are a crap magnet in your life, Joseph. And somehow this stuff just finds you, it seems. Like, you don't ask for it, but it finds you. And you're buried in this thing, and it's awful for you. Like, and I'm an encouraging guy. I'd be like, Joseph, I have no clue what to say to you right now. It looks pretty hopeless. Just whatever, man. We're done. I'll see you later. Like, you wouldn't fault him for that. Joseph didn't have to notice these guys, did he? Those two words, he noticed. Joseph didn't have to notice the cupbearer. He didn't have to notice the baker. He didn't have to say, why do you guys look so sad? But he knew that the moment he would be tempted to put his head down, that's the very moment he needs to keep his eyes up. 
That right when it looked its worst, in prison, when it seems hopeless, that's not the time to get negative. That's not the time to get downtrodden. That's the time to keep my chin up, keep my head up, because God's going to give me an opportunity here that I'm supposed to see. Joseph knew that. Joseph was looking for an opportunity. Joseph stayed engaged. Somehow in the middle of the darkest part of his life, he saw that God was giving him an opportunity to be used. An opportunity to get free, even when it seemed hopeless. See, God, I, I would submit to you this. God, right now, has someone or something in your life right now, something right in front of your face, that if you feel stuck, it's the opportunity you have. God, right now, I believe if you're feeling stuck today, you feel like you're bound up or you're held back by something, I really believe that God right now in front of your face is giving you an opportunity. You just need the eyes to see it. You just need to have your head up and be looking for it and say, God, what do you have for me? I wonder how many opportunities God's given you to move forward. I wonder how many opportunities God's given me to move forward with something that I just missed because I wasn't looking. I wonder how many opportunities God's given me to get out of jail or get on with something that because I chose negativity instead, I missed. Or I was just getting my own, I missed it. And I wonder what opportunity God has in your life right now that if you saw it would be the very key that gets you unlocked. The story goes on in verse 12. And Joseph interprets the dream. He says, this is what the dream means. This is the cupbearer's dream. Joseph says that the, the branches, the three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well with you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. See, if you want to get unstuck, then you have a move to make. It's one of these things Joseph knew. Like, if he wanted to get unstuck, he knew that there was a move that he was supposed to make. See, Joseph doesn't play this super Christian part. Like, I, I, I would be like, I'd be like, Joseph, you're a terrible Christian. Because you're not supposed to be selfish and think about yourself at all. Like, people don't do that, right? If he was a super Christian, like he's supposed to be, he would have just sat in prison and been like, okay, well, bless you, cupbearer. Let me hear your dream. That's fantastic. I'm going to be here for life, but let's hear what's up for you. Oh, wow, that dream means you're getting out in three days. That's great for you. I hope you have a great rest of your life. Me? No, I'm good. I'll just kind of take the rest of this, and I'll just sit here in prison for who knows how long. I'm sure God will do something, or someone else will come along. He doesn't say that at all. He says, listen, if this guy's getting out, get me out of here too. I want to get out. This sucks. This stinks. This is terrible for my life. The moment he saw an opportunity, a move to make, he took it. He didn't leave it up to interpretation what he wanted. He didn't leave it up to somebody else. He didn't even let God make the move for him. He saw God gave him an opportunity, and he took it. See, if you want to get unstuck, then there's a move that you need to make. Joseph could have, and follow this logic just for a second, Joseph could have just been like, okay, well, God gave me favor with Potiphar, and he made things go good for me. Cool, God's with me. I'm in prison. God gives me favor with the warden. He's with me. He's got this all figured out. Following that logic, why didn't Joseph just wait for God to get him out of prison? It's because Joseph understood that God's going to give you a key, but he's going to let you turn it. 
God's going to give you an opportunity to get unstuck. God's going to give you the very key to get out of whatever it is you're locked up in. But he's going to step back and say, you're the one who needs to turn it. You need to be able to turn the key. It's your move to make. So often the thing that holds us back and the thing that keeps us stuck is we are waiting for someone else or we're waiting for God to make the first move, aren't we? We'll get in a situation and we know that we want to be free. But for some reason we aren't willing to make the move to make it happen. We do it over and over again. I'm not sure if uh, you have any children. I have two kids. Anybody else, like, you have children, you know of children, you've heard of the term children before, like, all your hands should be up. Yes, like, you know them, right? Yes. Here's the thing I know about kids. Whether you watch them or you have them or you saw them on TV, doesn't matter. Uh, kids are awesome. I have a five-year-old named Owen, uh, and he's super cool. He's, like, 80 years old in a five-year-old body. He's amazing, right? He's a, just a, such a sweet little guy, man. He's awesome. And he's kind of gone through this phase already. But my three-year-old Avery, she's, like, two feet tall. And the term firecracker isn't even close, like atomic bomb, I don't know what you want to call it, tidal wave, like she is this short, kind of cute, chubby, long-haired girl who just like runs everywhere and makes crazy noise, she's incredible, she is so sassy, she is so like angry with the world sometimes, she's so fed up with everything sometimes, it's just amazing, so much angst in that little two-foot body, it's, it's cool, right? And Avery's been in this phase, my little three-year-old has been in this phase where everything I say to her, her answer is, oh, you do it for me. You ever have that phase as a parent, right? Like, Avery, can you go get your shoes? You do it for me, right? Avery, can you go brush your teeth? You do it for me. I don't know why she has emphysema. I don't know why she has that voice. But <clears throat> that's what her voice sounds. Anyway, so you do it for me. You do it for me, right? Like over and over and over. It doesn't matter what it is. You do it for me. You do it for me. In the past week, I just noticed this. In the past week, I've been asked to go to the bathroom for her. I've been asked to jump in the pool for her. I've been asked to go to bed for her. I've been I'm like over and over and over. It's you do it for me. You do it for me. You do it for me. Now, as a dad, I've played my part. My part as a dad is to set her up to be amazing in life. So I'm going to buy her the potty. I'm going to buy her the little duck swimmer for her to put on. I'm going to buy her all the stuff she needs, and I'm going to set her up. But at some point, she needs to make the move, right? Like, we can't at 18 years old, me being in the pool and saying, come on in, Avery, like, jump in, cannonball. They're going to call the cops because someone's assaulting a senior citizen, and it's going to be, like, terrible, Right? At some point, she needs to make the move. But isn't that how you and I live our lives? We don't understand that God has set us up so well. He's given me an opportunity. He's set me up. He's been a good father. And a good father will at some point step back and say, it's your move to make. And the reason you might be stuck today is because you are waiting for God to make a move that he is not going to make for you. You're waiting for someone else to go first. And God says, no, I've set you up. I've given you the key. Turn it. Joseph got that. Sometimes the thing that is keeping us stuck is we aren't willing to make a move. There's a decision we aren't willing to make. You do have a move to make. I wonder what move God has set you up to make. I wonder what key God's given you that he is just, I mean, he is just waiting for you to turn this thing, knowing that if you turn it, it's going to be the very thing that unlocks whatever cell you find yourself in. But it's yours to make. Verse 20 says that Pharaoh's birthday came three days later. Kind of interesting, right? I love this about Joseph too, and I will get on with it here, but I love that Joseph, in this move that he makes, he doesn't make some little like mamby-pamby kind of vague move. He doesn't say, he could say to the cupbearer, oh, I know what your dream means. Those three branches mean three periods of time, and at some point, I'm sure you're going to get out of this prison. 
right? Like just kind of hedging his bets just in case he's wrong. He doesn't do that at all. He says, listen, man, like in three days, we're going to find out whether I'm full of it or whether God is actually speaking through me. He makes a bold move. He doesn't make a halfway move. He makes a bold move and says, in three days, something's going to happen. We're going to know if I'm a chump or if I'm right. And you're going to know in three days. Three days later, surprise, surprise, it's Pharaoh's birthday. And he prepared a banquet for all of his officials and his staff. And he summoned his chief cupbearer and the chief baker to join the other officials. Watch what happens. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. Exactly what Joseph said. But Pharaoh in pit, well, I should have maybe told you, the chief baker's dream didn't go so great, right? It was not so good. Uh, and what happens for him is he gets impaled uh, and he's dead. That's kind of a bummer for him. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted the dream. See, the, the baker goes up and says, oh man, that's awesome. The cupbearer got a favorable response. Joseph, here's what my dream means. And Joseph says, no, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like you really want to know what's going to happen. I'll tell you what's going to happen is you're going to be dead in three days. So there you go. And it works out just like Joseph said. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph. Never giving him another thought. Two full years later. Two years later. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. Have you ever felt stuck? And you saw a move you needed to make? <clears throat> and somehow you summoned up the courage or the boldness to make that move? And you thought, okay God, I heard you right now. I'm going to make this risk for you now. I'm going to do this thing for you now. And you make the move. And it's just silence. And nothing happens. Have you ever been there? I've been there. God, I thought I heard you tell me to do this. I thought I was following you in this. I thought I heard you and I'm so excited to see that door open. But God, I made the move and you're gone. Did I not hear you right? Are you really not God in the first place? Am I just meant to be here forever? For two full years. Crickets. The Bible doesn't record anything that happens to Joseph. Silence, nothing. wonder what that would feel like for someone who thought they heard from God. Someone who thought God gave them a dream. Someone who made a bold move to get out of that prison cell, but just found that door to still be closed. wonder what that would have felt like for Joseph. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed he was on the bank of the Nile River. In verse 14 it says, uh, Pharaoh has a dream, he can't interpret it, and then the cupbearer says, oh my goodness, I know a guy, I remember. Oh yes, fantastic, and Joseph's like, you have got to be kidding me, right? Like the cupbearer says, I know a guy, Joseph, I don't know what his name is, it starts with a J, he's in prison, let's go get him. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. And he was quickly brought from this prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, that's probably good, he went in and he stood before Pharaoh. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. He tells Pharaoh what his dream means. And then in verse 39, Pharaoh says, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders only from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a higher rank than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. See, even after you've made, seen an opportunity, and even after you've made a move, you still need to wait for the door to open. You still need to wait. You still need to wait for the door 
to open. See, God's timing is just different than ours, isn't it? It's one of the things I've learned about God the hard way, and you probably have too. God's timing is always different than what I would think. Just when I think I have it figured out, and just when I say, God, it would really be a great time to bless me right now. God just seems to have something else in mind. The encouraging part for me, though, is I know, looking back at my own life, and you might know looking back at your life, every time that I thought God was supposed to move, or I wanted God to move and he didn't, he actually had something better in store for me. I know that looking back, don't you? Like, sometimes it's a good thing that the door didn't open just now, isn't it? Sometimes it's a good thing that God didn't let us out of prison just yet. So I wonder what would have happened for Joseph. Like, just think about this, uh, for instance. I wonder what would have happened if Joseph is sitting in prison, and the cupbearer has a dream. He interprets the dream, says, in three days you're going to get out. Remember me. I wonder what would happen if the cupbearer gets out. He remembers Joseph, the first words out of his mouth when he gets out of prison. Pharaoh, Joseph's in there. Get him out. I wonder what would happen if Joseph really got his way. If Joseph, three days after the cupbearer is, is, is released, if Pharaoh comes and says, Joseph, I don't know who you are, but the cupbearer sure likes you and I like him. You know what? Have a free pass. Go on with your life. Just go ahead. What would have happened to Joseph? I mean, maybe he would have lived the rest of his life. Maybe he wouldn't have had any troubles. I don't know if he would have got a job at Denny's or something. Or, like, I don't know what he would have done. But I can tell you what, he wouldn't have been used by God in a mighty way. I can tell you what would not have happened. He wouldn't have saved the Israelite people. He wouldn't have had a legacy to leave. He wouldn't be mentioned today, 2,000, 3,000 years later. We wouldn't be talking about him at all. See, Joseph had to stay in jail. He had to stay in prison. Why did he have to stay in prison? He had to stay in prison because Pharaoh's dream wasn't going to happen for another two years. And God knew, you just need to hold on, wait up, just kind of hang tight. I haven't forgotten you. I know exactly where you are. But something is going to happen down the road that is so important, so magnificent for your life, that you need to stay here and do some time right now. Because when just the time is right and I let you out of this door, you will be blown away by how influential I use you. By how influential I make your life. He had to stay in prison because the famine hadn't come yet. Do you get that? If he got what he wanted, we wouldn't be reading about it. But God's timing is always perfect. So some of us, we're like, man, but it's so hard to wait. It is hard to wait. It is hard to feel like you're following God and get blank stares. It is hard to follow God and get crickets. You know what that feels like. And it's so tempting for us to think that just because God's silent, just because I don't hear from him, he must have forgotten about me. But that couldn't be further from the truth. There's not one day that Joseph was sitting in prison that God didn't know exactly where he was at. That God didn't know, Joseph, just wait, just wait, just wait. I can't even tell you what's going to happen. It's going to be that good. You just need to trust me. There's not one time where Joseph was forgotten. The same for you. There's not been one day of your life, no matter how stuck you feel, how backwards you've had it, how much you're going the opposite direction, that God doesn't know exactly where you are, that God doesn't have you right in the center of his hand. He says, listen, child, like if I told you what I'm about to do, you wouldn't believe it. I just need you to be patient. I just need you to wait. I haven't forgotten you. I still am in control. I'm a forever God. I have a different perspective. You just need to wait. And my shoulder has been bruised in my life from trying to knock down doors that weren't going to open yet. Aren't yours? From trying everything I can to knock a door open and just try and try and try and fail and fail and fail. 
when we feel stuck, we need to wait for God to open a door. I'm not sure what it might look like for you, but I'm the biggest example I have in my life. You've probably heard this story before. I have like three stories, and they're, they're all good, but they're three stories. And uh, so when I was living in Pennsylvania, I've told this story to you before. I was living in Pennsylvania, and I was a youth pastor at a church down in Pennsylvania, right? And I was in Allentown, Pennsylvania for six years as a youth pastor. I was there three years before that time as like an intern through the summer, so kind of nine years at this one church down in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I don't know if you've ever had a job like this, or you've ever felt like this, but I just, like, as, as much as the job was okay, like, I just felt stuck. You ever feel stuck somewhere in a job, or you feel like, man, I'm just not really getting any, I, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And there's nothing about it. If you're watching Allentown, I love you, and you know it was awesome, and I appreciate you, but here's the honest truth is, I just felt, I felt stuck. I felt like, God, I don't know if you're using me the way I was supposed to be. I don't know. I feel like I'm not quite getting where God wants me. Now, I, I could have just been like 20 years old and entitled and all that. I'm totally open to that. I really am. But I do know I felt like I was stuck. And I know that over those six years, I was just trying to bust down a door and make a next move and say, God, I feel like you have something else for me. I don't know what it is, so I'm going to try this. And I turned so many keys I thought were the keys, and I busted down so many doors. I applied to go to a church in Chicago. I applied to churches in Pennsylvania. I got no, 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 no. I applied to King's Church here, but when it's King's Valley, back in the day, I got to the like 11th hour. I was packing my bags. I got a phone call, and they said, no, it's not yet. This is before Brent was a pastor, and it was like one of those moments where, like, God, I thought I heard you, and I thought you were moving. But it was just no, 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 no. You ever get that? No, 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 no. And so it was a moment for me, like six years in, where I said, okay, God, it's obviously not working. And I don't get what you have, but maybe you're meant me, meant me to stay here. And so I bought a house across the street from the church, like literally across the street. Like I look out my front window and be like, I think they're counting me for attendance today because I'm, I'm there, right? Like my nativity scene in my front yard was the church's nativity scene. It was pretty wild, right? I had a killer nativity scene. But I, I moved, like, across the street from the church. I said, okay, God, if you're not moving me, then I'm going to plant right here, and I'm going to do whatever it is. I'll give you my life. I'm going to give my life to the place. Here we go. I got a house. I planted fruit trees. I planted gardens. I did all of this kind of a thing. I said, I'm not going to try and open that door anymore. Less than one year later, Pastor Brent is on the phone with me. He says, I have an opportunity for you. Why didn't God open that door sooner? Why didn't God say, no, I got some things for you, but it's going to take maybe six years for you to kind of wait until I want to use you in a mighty way? Because God knew the timing wasn't right. God knew that if he would have let me out of that door and took me to Chicago or took me to Pennsylvania or took me anywhere else, I might have had an okay life, I might have done okay, but it was not the thing that God had in store specifically for me. It wasn't the story God wanted of my life. It wasn't the mighty thing God would have wanted me to do. I wonder what it is for you. What door are you just waiting for God to open? I guarantee when he opens it, it's going to be better than you ever thought it would be in a million years. I don't know what you're feeling stuck with. I don't know what you feel is coming up against you today. But I do know if you've got eyes to see it, God is going to give you an opportunity you're supposed to see. It's right in front of you already. Just like MacGyver, it's right in front of you. You just got to see it like, man, I just need this, I need this, I need this, and God's going to open that door. What's the opportunity God has for you to see? I know that you have a move to make. You know what it is too, and you know what you're scared to do. You have a move to make. You need to just wait for the door to open because you were not meant to stay 
here. Amen? Amen? Amen. Here's what we're going to do to close this out. Uh, we're going to join a communion here as a church. And what we're going to do with communion here today is, now I know like when I felt stuck in my life, and maybe you too, there's this period where I, I just don't know if God's with me anymore. I don't know if he's with me or not. I'm just stuck, so I don't know. God's not supposed to leave me like that. And maybe some of us here today, we just need a little bit of encouragement that, you know what, even though I might not necessarily feel God working right now, or even though I feel like God might be silent, or even though I feel like it all seems lost and I'm just kind of lost in this whole thing, God's forgotten me. We know that we can come to a table where God says, I'm with you and you're with me. And my bread, which represents my body, and this cup that represents my blood, says that I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I've never forgotten you, I'm always inviting you in, you can be as close to me as you want, I sacrificed my very life so that you could live, so that you could be unstuck, so you could be set free. So we're going to take communion today, and we're just going to remember, like God, no matter how stuck we feel, no matter how lost we might be, God, you are always with me. And I don't have to doubt that. And so this is a symbol of saying, God, you've got me. So what we're going to do, the band's going to sing. And as they do, we're just going to stand up to our feet. And we're going to come forward. We're going to take a piece of bread. We're going to take a cup. We're going to walk back to our seat. And then we're just going to pray to God and just whatever it is for you. God, help me uh, through this. God, be with me in this. Whatever it looks like for you, just pray to God and put it in your own words. God, I just need to remember you today. Then I want you on your own to eat that bread and drink the cup. We're going to join in worship. That's going to be a fantastic way to end. The only, the only thing I'd say is if you're coming up to the, to the front or to the back, like communion is one of those things that if you've accepted Christ, then this is for you. If you've not made the decision to follow Jesus, it's not that I don't want you to. You can make that decision right now and come on up. That's no problem. It just doesn't work. It's kind of like a marriage almost, right? Like, it's kind of like coming up and visiting this spouse. Like, if you're not married, well, you can't, it, it just doesn't, it, it's not going to do the same, it's not going to mean it for you. So if you want to follow Jesus today for the first time, ask him into your heart, come on forward and, and receive. Let me pray over you and then we're going to go. Heavenly Father, God, I ask in Jesus' name that we would start to see doors open in your time. That we would see opportunities you've given us. That we would be so excited for what you have for us in our lives that we could, couldn't nearly contain ourselves. In every negative situation, we'd be positive. We'd have our heads up, our eyes open. And we would just be so incredibly excited to see how you're going to use our lives to the fullest. Would we think do things just like Joseph, God, where we thought it was one thing, but you have so much more for us. So God, give us encouragement today. I ask you to meet with us in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted in a loud voice. Amen. Amen. Let's come and receive.